Hello, welcome to Smiley's. Tonight we are summarizing and discussing Chapter 5 of Fall of Light. Um, I'm joined by Mora. Hello, Mora. Hi. If you can't tell, I'm rather low energy today because it's been a long day yeah. and this chapter is a trip on its own. So, <laughs> I'm just go- if you would excuse me, I'm just going to kick back and relax. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Mora, um, first of all, how are you? Didn't ask that. I'm okay. And uh, how's the chapter? I like this chapter. I liked yeah. it a lot. And I'm so happy. I'm, I mean, I usually don't ask that I want to do something. And this is the first time I've asked you, like, this is Lasaruk and I want it. Right? So, yeah. I had fun. I don't know why you're so bummed out about this chapter, but it was good. I'm not bummed out about the chapter itself. It just, well, you know, Galan, I think, primes you quite well about what to expect from this chapter in particular. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like it was smooth sailing for me because I kept asking in the group chat, like, what am I reading? What's going on? Why are we even doing this? So <laughs> this chapter has its moments. Anyway, let's start. I have less than 4,000 words to go. Mm-hmm. We start with scene zero, right? And I'm titling this, learn, learn from this. I'm titling this Galan. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Galan is telling us, and now the tone of this tale must change. And he's going to tell us about wayward Azathanai, the war against death, Foolish Youth and Bitter Ancients. So we finished this chapter. Hopefully, whoever is listening has finished reading this chapter. So the wayward Azathanai are cruel and skillen. War against death is where all these Telakai are going. What about Foolish Youth and Bitter Ancients? Who do you think they are? I would argue that they haven't shown up yet. I think that's next chapter. Even though there is some sort of... Yeah, yeah, the, your chapter. It's definitely right? next chapter because the yeah. way the next chapter begins, you'll know exactly who the Bitter Ancients are. <laughs> So anyway, so this is what uh, the whole, the book is shifting right now. And he tells us outright that we are going to plunge into the absurdity of the unimaginable and the impossible. I'm not the only one who reads the word unimaginable and thinks of Hamilton, right? Quiet uptown. No? I don't oh, well, listen to that, that song very often. That makes me cry like each time I listen to it. Like yeah, one, yeah. one or the other line of the song gets me. So anyway, uh, Galan tells us that the Azathnai are very powerful. Yeah. But are they gods? Maybe. If they are gods, then they are children and they are not worthy of worship. And he tells you. Okay, with, can I just say? Uh, uh, yeah, please interrupt yeah, sorry, me. Sorry, sorry. <clears throat> uh, with chapter 11 of Forge of Darkness, when as, um, Arathan and Draconis are looking about the exact same thing, and Draconis yeah. calls Gazathanai gods in waiting. Yeah. And here Galan says they're childish. God damn it. Excuse, excuse me. <laughs> Pause. So, as You're I back. was saying, <laughs> we're back. Sorry for that. As I was saying, um, Draconis calls the Azathanai gods in waiting, waiting for worshippers. And then he goes on like, but they don't, they're not always gods. They exist in and of themselves and for themselves. And then Galan comes along and they're like, no, they're children, they're idiots. (laughs) So, you know, there's a tension of um, Galan trying to make a point in Forge of Darkness versus Galan trying to make a point here. Right. Please continue. Yeah, yeah, I'm continuing, yeah. So... And then Galan asks you, Fisher, I mean, he's talking to Fisher, obviously, not us. And he asks Fisher, you're probably confused at the way I'm telling this story. Because why doesn't the place of beginnings have territories and shorelines and everything that clues you into a single, proper single world? And you know what his reply is? I mean, what his answer to that is? He says, dare I suggest that what clashes is within you, not me. This, by the way, isn't Steve telling us anything, right? It's just... Galan telling Fisher. Probably Fisher's face was, you know, sort of confused looking or something. So now, shall I go on? Yeah. Um, basically, what Galan says here is like, um, you think of like the far past as some unformed realm of potential, but how am I supposed to make a tale of a place that has like one city here, one city here, and like one city over there, and that's all. I need something yeah. to start with. So... Karkanas isn't the deep past. It is a past, but close enough to where details and these structures that Galan's describing here do still exist. If you want the deeper past, you have to look to the mythology of the Deist, which is going to relate to you here, but, you know. So, maybe the problem is with you, not with him. But, you know, it's not yeah. Steve telling us anything, promise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're not thinking these things, right? Yeah. We're, we're more sophisticated than that, right? Of course, of course. So, and he says, yeah, as you said, the deep past is a type of imagination too. 
because it is a mystery that adds to your sense of wonder mm-hmm. and i believe caplo said something like this that it is a deep past can only exist in imagination or something no mm-hmm. there is something very similar that reason drips away leaving only vicious imagination or what yeah. yeah but then galan the poet galan who is narrating this story to us he tells us not us sorry he tells fisher fisher that he yeah. has given him like comfortable footfalls right he has mentioned all the familiar places he saw in forge of darkness like the keeps and the monasteries and the whatever all the all the places from there so that you know he is more comfortable coming back to this world and because he has given all this uh, familiarity probably the mystery is lost maybe but anyway this is just to prep him because fisher might be just put off with that the whole book has changed into a different direction so he's mm-hmm. just preparing him right now there is a complicated bit which i'll just try to say he says there are countless realms countless realms jostling in the ether mm-hmm. and everything can be assumed to be like islands of worlds and the island containing kural galen and karkanas it abuts other realm other realms which are half seen and barely sensed and you know what he's doing he's going to unfold the world and see what wonders are revealed so what he's saying is don't look for these places in any map because these are all just half seen and barely sensed right but things are going on so let's just follow the story scene 1 do you know what i'm naming this ah uh, hang on who's there um who's scene one cruel skillen what did i name it <laughs> cruel and skillen no oh, i wouldn't take three words when i can do it with just one i mean just I skillen the azathnai okay see see i'm not fair trying enough. to pat my numbers here i'm fine fair. with whatever word count i get fair, so yeah. fair, fair. so we are at this place called the sidelways and it is like a corner of the mind of the universe okay we just start off with this uh, reptilian type of azathnai skillendro who is walking across a plain it's he's following the footsteps of someone who has gone this way while dragging something or someone by the end we know that it is some builder who was dragging along cruel trying to dispose cruel but couldn't so anyway he's trying to follow this guy and he's doing this because he heard cruel call and we assume that he came because he thought cruel was a woman at this time right so so anyway and he doesn't fly because this air is too caustic why any idea why no idea i don't know you you have some spoilers answers i don't answers have anything now i don't okay, i don't so remember your, i don't, don't even if i did face, right? i don't remember okay. yeah okay thanks so anyway he notices like statues idols and other ruins and because he's coming here after long absence he doesn't recognize most of them and these forgotten monuments wash up here in this realm like flotsam flotsam that's how you say that word right yeah, yeah and this place is probably the repository of failed faiths abandoned dreams and broken promises he is not happy with the thought that the universe has a mind since it can only be a cluttered one and looking at the state of this place one could assume that the custodian is either sleeping or drunk <laughs> and this is a river where ideas bounce off boulders and dissolve notions spiral endlessly and devour themselves and so on so he thinks it's not exactly a sleeping mind it's more like a hibernating mind where the waters are always restless because of any idea that comes up don't ask me don't ask me deeper than this because i'm just translating the words i have no idea what is going on here he's just thinking that this is a part of the world this this realm is entirely given over to just failed faiths right so I, i don't know how much more we need to know about this place do we come back i have no idea don't if it's spoilers don't tell me so anyway the anyway whoever is telling this and the thing is in this chapter there are a few pa- parts where uh, suddenly we get everything in italics like as if galan is telling us or it could be skillen uh, his own thoughts a few parts are you know they come up like this and i'm not sure what to make of it so anyway whoever is thinking these thoughts he thinks that it is up to debate that he thinks that you know he is not the one to impose rhythms upon the storm he only plays with others words by spitting up the dregs of the poets he has devoured has skillen gone around eating poets or is it like galan who has taken so many words of so many poets and has regurgitated them we don't know it could be either uh, and he thinks that these forgotten gods are all praying for a prayer right <laughs> you have something to add um not really no um okay the well i have one thing to mention later but that's one humanist cruel so i'll save that for then yeah he's going to meet cruel right away so he comes across this stone building with a gatehouse and flies closer there are some haphazard tracks all over the yard and eventually it leads to a huddled figure at the entrance and he sees that this is cruel 
and skillen keeps saying that he prefers krul as a woman as he meets skillen stands in the path of a sideways current right it's like an energy current not a, which doesn't like move like wind or anything this current has been pouring into the house and skillen stands in the way krul thinks that these this current is taking away possibilities and taking it inside the house and is it really vanishing inside he doesn't know and he asks skillen that doesn't he have any issues with if his words or thoughts are torn away from him and they gain immortality inside the house right skillen doesn't bother answering all that he just asks why are you here and krul says he was dragged there by a builder and then left alone then skillen moves out of this energy stream and he asks what is inside the house krul says it must be like the others it's like the great upside down thoughts are inverted and perspective may be displaced and all that and then skillen notices that krul is very pale and he asks uh, he says that you know skillen has been away for so long and he wants to know about his travels and this is when skillen ta- starts telling us about the place he has found where he was living as an asathani he says he found one breed and he has taken the role of assassin in that breed right can i just say it yeah. out loud because i didn't get yeah. it when i was reading i thought it was a dragon yeah, yeah. or something go, go for it so it's it he is probably like a shigal assassin and probably the people he has found are the kechains chamal or naruk i can't say he's found one uh, of them the naruk don't have assassins they have very singular breeds is it yeah or the naruk are all like homogenous colony the naruk so from the book of the fallen we know that like the naruk are the original breed then the kemali evolved mm-hmm. from the naruk and the naruk went extinct and then the kemali resurrected the naruk to be their servants and then there was a civil war okay so okay. it's probably so kemali it's just... uh, on top of like uh, what skillen says now by like finding a world in argument with itself and imposing yeah. perfect logic and whatnot so yeah that tracks so, yeah but does he mean that this uh, breed is like fighting with itself is that what he means a world in I argument f- with itself so the kemali are practical like why have very when practical. have you started saying kemali for them when is this uh, a new thing i think it's how steve pronounces it and i just internalized it okay okay i might look at hang on look it up no please yeah, we let's finish up um oh my god i wasn't somewhere yeah it's kemal okay chemal whatever <laughs> i want to call him i'm going to call him kemali doesn't matter fine um fine. so yeah the gajain are basically very pragmatic right they as skill mentions they lack imagination they form very rational thoughts um they draw their philosophy from the world around them they rationalize all of things they're like the opposite of empiricism rather than relying on experience they have to think things through you know why does this work how does this work um which often leads them to all conflict with other races because other races are more empiricist they rely on experience they can't explain how a warren works but they use it anyway um now for nazathani who effectively cruel i think mentioned this at the end of the chapter that they have no idea where they came from like yeah, who made us yeah, who yeah. came who came first it's a bit nonsensical to search for these answers to begin with so skillen probably all of these people well they're not people i guess these they are uh, people. these kids why wouldn't you say in people is uh, you know for humanoids no why are you being such a i'm being racist you know? sorry uh, these people racist, yeah, yeah yeah my bad um in contempt because they hold very rational thoughts who which probably skillen thinks cannot reach any higher truths maybe i don't know he says something like they worship demonstrable truths which skillen finds ironic and arrogant i didn't get it when i was reading and summarizing and then at the end of the chapter i, re- I realized that you know they don't have access to demonstrable truths the azathani mm-hmm. and that's why he finds it so uh, ironic anyway then krul says that he has made a gift of possibilities of magic that requires no bargaining with any asathani and he also says that his gifts are being abused already which is like shocker big shocker yeah and then skillen thinks that krul has lost his mind he says that krul also tells him that it is erastus who is trying to command the gifts and then he alters it to say something which will be more understandable for skillen in his present state so he says erastus is trying to impart a flavor to that magic to his gift and now the dragons are returning and krul basically wants a guardian because both note the word returning yeah yeah let us please note the word returning because i don't know what to make of it this is my second time through fall of light and 
it is things like this which are just you know beginning to bother me a lot because i did not notice all these things yeah so if anyone is reading this for the first time make note the dragons yeah. are returning dragons are returning and the last thing time we heard of dragons in coral galane was rise her at an emerald near in chapter 15 for the darkness before they were dicks sorry um uh discussing tice creation myths and how the first heroes of the tice killed the elaint and then drank their blood became tyrants and then the azathmai as well as other tice had to band together and take them so that was i think we, in like yeah no i think it comes up with arathan also so at some point of time he is trying to think something that there was no mention of dragon there or it was just dark and light it he was the age of gifts what do you think is age of gifts Uh, okay. I don't remember if dragons are mentioned. I don't I think, think that chaos it, is mentioned. I don't think dragons. I think yeah, he's mentioned like every dice card is a gift of chaos, but I don't think there's mention of dragons. The mention of dragons comes with Rise of Rat and Emerald in chapter fifteen, okay. and again here there's like the returning, right? So. Yeah, I'm just going to continue. Cool. And Krul <laughs> says he needs a guardian because both Erastus and Tiam are looking for him, and Skillen is fearless of Erastus. So Krul de- decides to tell him about you know what Erastus has done. Presumably he's going to tell him that he is not you know not stepped away from murder. He's basically started murdering people for the magic. Anyway, uh, just because you know before I end this scene, I want to just tell you that Krul says that he's no longer a woman because his days of birthing is over, and mm-hmm. Skiller notes that his days of bleeding is not, which 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 is just unnecessary if you ask me. But yeah, it's so much fun. Yeah. Now scene two. What do you think I'm naming mm, this? I- Yeah, uh, the Halakai. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is where. So uh, yeah, uh, what I wanted uh, <laughs> before we get to the Halakai, I wanted to mention two things. One, um, we know that Kroll transforms into a woman whenever he has to birth something, right? He And was a woman. Not North many Central people Rome. might have finished. Yeah. Novels of the Malazan Empire. But so we we're doing spoilers for this. Not. We might as well not. Uh, we'll who is going to do time. that? I, what? Sorry, but we do this every time, no? Like we say that it's like spoiler for novels and ones and numbers as well. If you haven't finished, we do. But you know, most people, people like me, will not bother. We'll they'll just try to listen. And is there value in mentioning that right now? Isn't yes. it enough to just say that Krul takes on the guise of a woman when he wants to do when he wants to create something? Yeah, let's go with that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just typing you. Okay, go on. Tell that's me. the bottom yeah. line, right? That's the bottom line. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, it's 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 really great because that is not something I would have noticed on my own. So, so. but uh, yeah, the second thing is uh, yeah. the builders. We don't know what the builders yeah. are. I think uh, there is there's... still more discussion about the builders coming up. Yeah, we're there's not done with the builders. The stuff. one elder whom Namander finds in Kalthas's dream world thing. Yeah, yeah. In Tolda Hounds, I have no idea what that is. And there's yeah. one entity also in the novels which I cannot mention because we're not doing spoilers for them now. Um, But it's it's not really a spoiler. It's just there is one elder who is almost exactly like the type of guy we see in Toll the Hounds. It's in the yeah. prologue of one of the books, right? No, no, no. I mean, we don't, um, we don't get I mean much guy. detail there. So the elder we know builds Azath houses from Toll the Hounds. Yeah, right. He builds yeah. Azath houses and then Galfas takes them, plucks them, puts them elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, the guy in the novels. We don't know if he's associated with Azath houses, but he is similar. Yeah, I mean, to... he's not really building anything, right? He's just yeah, he's just there. Well, anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> We're dancing <laughs> about the answer anyway, but we don't know if there's a connection between them here and probably not later either. So okay. just something to keep in mind that the builders mentioned here may or may not have be connected with the elder from Toll the Hounds that builds Azath houses. I'd be all. I think they're exactly the same. I don't know why you're saying it. Almost certainly, but there's no explicit yeah. information. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I think in the next book, Steve is going to like put a line at the top which says that yes, this builder is exactly that person there. Yeah, that <laughs> that this is being all the explicit sassed. information we are going to get. I'm, I'm being sorry. mocked for being. You're not being mocked. I'm just being sarcastic or something. <laughs> Massive difference. Please carry on. <sighs> If you're only in scene two, there are like eight scenes in this chapter. The Telakai. Briefly, if you just want to listen to this in ten seconds and move on, it's Lasaruk who has heeded the Jagut war on death, and she has left the village with two young guys to act as her guardians, Hanako and Creed. Okay. If you want in detail, listen up. The POV begins with Hanako thinking of how everything began with a conversation. 
and it was the curse of the telakai that silence is the only thing that could stop the flood of words i mean isn't it always silence which stops you from talking makes no sense but anyway the silence is is a rare beast among them and his people they use laughter as the first response to pain and he's thinking all these thoughts and like you know like we discussed in the previous chapter it's not like he's just chilling somewhere and thinking these things he is basically recovering from a bear attack and behind him creed has has started skinning the beast while humming mindlessly and in front of him there is lasaruk the breakaway character of this chapter she's on all fours recovering from laughter and she's you know basically crying and she begs hanako to make some pronouncement for this moment that it was just a slap or two from the lord of temper and you know he he shouldn't be bridling at this then uh, anyway she's been laughing and all that and side note i think we should just notice that these people are all blonde Yeah, Telakai mm-hmm. are blonde, and who else was blonde in Forge of Darkness? Grizzle. Yeah, Grizzle. And then Creed offers the bear skin to Hanako. He tells him that you know you have to wear it or something. And then they wonder how they missed this bear cave. And Creed warns Hanako to always carry a weapon with him, even if he's just going somewhere to poop in the woods. He also gives him this uh, lower jaw, which Hanako has basically torn off. And then they cook the tongue for breakfast. And while <laughs> cooking the tongue. Creed makes a joke. He says something like, "The Lord of Tempers run out of things to say." Ha ha. And you know what happens? This makes Lasa finally stop laughing. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> so it's just my kind of humor. Yeah. And then Hanako goes to take bath in the uh, in the stream, and then he thinks that the bear might well have saved saved him the journey by killing him because they're after going to face death, right? and then he remembers an old saying of a woman who was born in the seas but yearns for the plains and so on and so on i'm quoting as if the point already made could never be made to perfection and the axe swings eternal against the tree until the leaves raining down barriers right so anyway he returns and he asks for suturing and dr rook lasaruk she takes a look and says that he is fit he doesn't need any suture and then she also tells same <coughs> something like a mountain of snow could not shrivel bold hanako and They keep bantering for a bit. If you want more detail, I think Lee will take over. Yeah, no. And then Lasa. Um, <laughs> there's no need for more detail, I think. <laughs> and then Lasa resumes her journey, and she calls them my workhorses. And Hanaka th- Hanako thinks that you know, I don't know why this is an explicit thought, but he thinks that so far nobody has slept with anyone else on this journey. And then Creed tells him to wear the cloak because it is a gift of the Lord of the Forests or Beasts or something. And this is how they honor the slain. Lasa disagrees. She says that honor cannot fit anyone, fit everyone, and the dead will crowd your wake, and all they carry is resentment towards you when you when you wear their skin and all that. It's the telakai, right? So dead crowding the wake is something that we should be familiar with by now. Then Hanako says he would have yielded to the beast if he had the choice, and Lasa says that you know it is fear which takes away your choices until you are left with only one. And the bear had basically what has happened is the bear has come out of the cave, sees its ways blocked. and because it doesn't understand the concept of retreat it tried to attack hanako and got killed and then as he go on she muses on this ridiculous journey they're on because which direction are they going to find death right is it east or she has a story for each direction uh, the north is very interesting because she says there is a sleeping woman whose half of her body is stolen by a serpent corpse and she you know she asks uh, hanako if this is a worthy war and instead of answering her in like one line there is a whole big flashback yeah do you have something are you lost in thought uh, yeah i was thinking of like what the if there's any real world symbolism with the sleeping woman being the oh not the sleeping woman but you know in our uh, in hinduism we say death is death comes from the south like the lord mm-hmm. of death yama is from the south and that's why mostly houses will not be built facing south north and east are auspicious the you know the door has to face east or north south no no south is not allowed even west some people you know they go according to astrology and there is some like west may be okay but south no that's where you know the god of death comes on his he rides a black bull he carries a mace and you know he sees that the door is open he might just enter that's the that's true oh yeah wasn't yama like metal as fuck yama is amazing yeah yeah is remember that because our like so, our and, di- yeah um, you know what my kid did today just <laughs> quick note She is trying to count two, and she counted one, two. <laughs> so yeah, Yama is metal. Most of her gods are quite metal, actually. 
So, yeah. continue. Yeah. Anything yeah. else? I can't Real think of any metaphor right now. For this no. sleeping woman and corpse, I don't know. If you, you have anything on this now. <laughs> I mean, what do you mean? It must be the little mermaid, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Obviously. Yeah. Is her name Ariel? I think it's Ariel, right? Yeah, Ariel. And I think the... Wait, was the... Wasn't the Manuel crab's son? name is Sebastian. I know that because Lin-Manuel yeah. named his son Sebastian. We are going oh. so far away from Fall of Light. Will you stop looking up the little mermaid? Listen. I'm sorry. Yes. Um. <laughs> okay, please look up. I'll just continue. So we have a flag. When she asks, is this a worthy war? I think Hanako starts, you know, remembering how they heard about this war on death. And at first they all laughed. Yeah, what did you find out? Oh, yeah. Um, the Little Mermaid is made by Hans Christian Andersen, who is a Danish poet and writer. So technically he's from the north. So it counts. It tracks. <laughs> yeah. First it's like I laughed and mocked. Yeah, go on. And, <laughs> and then, you know, soon they all lost, uh, lost their humor because, you know, they start remembering all the deaths they have faced and all that. And in place of this laughter, what came up is scorched gleefulness. Isn't that, isn't that quite amazing? I just like the way he writes about this telekai. Then Hanako thinks that if uh, one is offered many dreams, but only few are possible, right? And dreams, uh, usually people just say that dreams are only to be tolerated. And as a young man, he was mocked by everyone for having dreams. And then he wonders if, you know, why do the old and wise people think that dreams belong only to them? Because... All they know is the disappointment of dreams. Isn't it the realm of children? And death is the reaper of ambition, the devourer of hope. And he knows that the Jagat have called for an army and in the name of a war that could not be won, the Tellakai gave their answer with a drumbeat of heavy, bitter laughter and said, that is a war we can wage. He remembers all this and answers uh, Lhasa that this is the only worthy war, right? And then she asks him to speak in her defense when her husbands eventually catch up. And this is when these guys realize that they are being followed by her three husbands. Yeah. Scene three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go on, yeah, go sure. on. So, yeah, as a side note, um, the very few things we know of the Thelakai from last book is that they have, like, the best alcohol. Like, their ale is enough to kill a man. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's basically all we know of them. We don't know very much. No, we, we know also about know that they are, like, songwriters or... Singers from the hills or something like that. There is some yeah, from, association uh, with poetry. Oh, God. Um, that one, you know, important sword scholar. Who Ferrer? Just, fuck. No, 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 no. Um, we, I, don't, we, I don't remember the name. It's something with K. It's like a like Karish, like Caliph. I can something really say Kalaris. Yeah, okay. It's something addition to that. She appears for like two pages and then gets killed when the Legion oh, raised yeah, the board. Yeah, the tower lady, the the library lady. But basically, yeah, yeah. yeah, we know that they have like a kick-ass alcohol and a very, very strong oral tradition. Huh. And we can see why here, because apparently... And after Hanako seeing Lhasa, we can say, you know, yeah. oral could mean anything. So we oh, should not say much. I'm sorry. So what is scene three called? Yeah. Uh, the husband. quickly. No, that's the next no? one. This is okay. the dragons. Oh, yeah. This is, this is a dark tennis, right? Yeah. And this is the yeah. reason why we had that scene in last chapter, which you didn't like. Kagamandra and Barsa or Bared, they all showed up because, you know, to remind us that the dragons have entered this world. You know, because right. it's just like like two two or three pages in Fourth of Darkness at the end. So mm-hmm. people might have missed it, right? So anyway, the dragons. Dark Tennis has just made love to his beloved wife, Iskari Mokra. I, can I just say quickly that if at all we do the novellas, it's more or less going to be like this, right? It's it's full of so many such jokes that, you know, we're probably just going to cringe our way through it. We'll not summarize it. We'll just discuss it if we read the novelas. So anyway, he's just made love to Iskari Mokra. All his names are going to be familiar. So let's see. And theirs is a love of centuries with ebbs and flows in the chaos of love. He can still feel, you know, the heat of their lovemaking. And recently, I think AP tweeted that Draconian is not reptilian. And, you know, I started thinking about that. And probably the, the only conclusion I can reach is that reptilian is like cold-blooded, whereas draconian is definitely not. At least the Malazan dragons are, I wouldn't call them cold-blooded because they run on magic and they should be able to regulate their temperature to some extent, right? Do you have any thoughts on dragon biology? I no? don't know, no. But, um... <laughs> I mean, if I ask no. entropy, you would probably start. Uh, I this. do think there is mention of, yeah, like cruel and skill and bring it up at the end. <laughs> 
So yeah. I I think I glazed over that I because faults. I did add that. Okay, we'll reach there. Just tell me when it comes up because I definitely skipped that. So anyway, after their fury had spent, Iskari Mokra had flown away very quickly, and then he thinks that they they are all fragments of Tiam, right? All these dragons. They are too wise to be called children and too foolish to be called ancients. And I have no idea why this line is there. It says something like, "We are in the middle of our lives, in the age of walking backwards." What's that? Mm. What What the hell is that? I I things like this just not, take me out. What do you have an answer? I don't know. They're not children. They're not ancients. They're in the middle of their lives. No shit. Uh, the <laughs> age the of walking is backwards. What the age of walking backwards? I, I guess he's just making mistakes and he's going back on life. Like, Or we can forward. just say this is just because they're returning to this world instead of coming I mean, for the first time. Maybe they're walking backwards. Maybe. Maybe. I, I don't know. The yeah, metaphor of this chapter are lost on me. It, I'm sorry. Yeah, let's go on. So when the gate had opened, they had all rushed in. Right. So was it an escape or was it a summons? They couldn't tell. And the dragons each tried to maintain some distance, and they would occasionally clash. And they have so much history that their companionship is like fevered. But he has also stalked and taken his lover, right? At the beginning, he says something like, "It was a some amazing ebbing and flowing love," and then they made love. And she, no, no, it is not like that. He has stalked her and then raped her. Basically, I don't know if reptilian, draconian rape counts. But by this time, he thinks that he had left her alone because she needed to sleep and heal and wait for the spawn to come up. Isn't Dark basically a dick? And also. He he wonders if like this is their instinct to populate a new world as soon as they come there, but then instincts could also lead to regrets, and he wonders what flavor this particular deed is going to take, right? And if it's not instinct, then is it just the desire of a caged soul? The voice in his mind speaks to another, which is but itself, and so in dialogue it can swallow up entire realms. And but then everything outside the limit of one skull is an illusion. This is a repetition. This has come up before. Mm-hmm. I think when. Is it in this book or in Dust of Dreams? I'm not sure where, but it has come up before. Like someone, I think it is Erastus walking through a dragon skeleton, and yeah. he reaches the skull and thinks reality is just inside yeah. this. It was Dust of Dreams, chapter nine, chapter eight, I think. Yeah, yeah, somewhere in Dust of Dreams. And yeah, that yeah, I think like was it not a mercy that they killed you? Yeah, whatever bullshit. Yeah. Is that like I don't know that that sounds exactly like this dragon because it's the same injuries here. So anyway, now watches fight for them, watches die for them, for this, you know, the realms or whatever. And this is not majesty that fills graveyards, graveyards, but sophistry. Why die? Then this has something called. Yeah, yeah. We'll just we'll just keep going on. And anyway, this is a new world, but they have nothing new to offer here. And Tennis notices that magic burns bright and it is untethered. So he decides to make this ma- sorcery his, right? And then he smells fresh blood and he's hungry because he's just had. Had sex apparently, so he swoops down to go eat. Scene four. It's so much fun to make you laugh at you know, silly things like this. Yeah, scene four. The husbands. The husbands. Do you can't you muster up some energy for this? Like, um, yeah. What are their names? I'm, I'm like Garalco. Oh, Garalco then. Yeah, I'm old and tired. Tell and me jaded. the three names. It's Garalco, Tathanol, and Dravast. Yeah. How do you so, pronounce them? Yeah, I think the same. Same as you. Yeah, nice. I'm not trying to say it out loud. <laughs> so anyway, basically, what I typed was the scene is just pure banter and character work, and I don't see the point in going over this line by line because you know I found this line. Garalco There's... says we are men, eggs yeah. are for breaking, and Tathanal corrects him saying we are husbands and eggs are for juggling. If they're talking about testes, then I'll take the scene. No, If they're it's not just, talking, they're talking about, about like these. just eggs, then I I am so annoyed with this and I don't know what to do. <laughs> anyway, no, no, no. I don't <laughs> think they're talking about the states. I think what I think what the purpose of that is like um they're men, so they need to fight, they need to break eggs. And, like he corrects him like, no, we're husbands. We have to take care of like the more delicate things because Lassa can't cook, so we need to be the ones that take care of like the everyday home things. You know, so we juggle eggs rather than break them. You know what? You know what? You're making sense, and I'm getting even more annoyed by this. <laughs> yeah, I think sense. it would be yeah. better if it was about testes, because there's <laughs> fart jokes in this chapter, and yeah. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> so no. okay. I like, don't know. Summary. Let me summarize. So the takeaways are these. You know, Garalco is the the oldest husband, 
and he has noticed a dragon or a winged monster but the others don't believe him uh, all three of them are very happy to be on the trail because they're cooking their own food and their stomachs are very happy at last <laughs> one of them <laughs> one of them <laughs> this is the part i messaged because i was laughing so loudly when like you know when i was going on the bus and then one suggests that you know when they come back they should forbid her from cooking and says you know let's have a vote or something <laughs> i can't do this <laughs> then garalko says you know oh you guys are so bold and he says something like this is not something i highlighted but my kindle says like this is one of the most popular highlights of other kindle users the courage of husbands is directly proportionate to the proximity of the wife <clears throat> so anyway garalko brags that even their man lover king had you know lusted after him but he's old now <laughs> and then the husbands wonder if you know lasa is trying to defeat death because she is afraid of aging but they don't think so because you know charm is not something you can say has anything to do with lasa oh, right. you know okay. they're talking all this and all of a sudden they come across a dragon eating a skinned bear and garalko takes his staff and pokes its eye out ravast chops its hand with his axe and the axe gets lodged and tatanal chops its thigh with his sword and then it flies off it actually falls off the ledge and then it starts flying away but it's a bit lopsided because it's blind in one eye and they can <laughs> why are you laughing it's okay, it's because for dragon. one um like before this they were talking about um let like, me let me yeah yeah you yeah, yeah, yeah. we're coming there <laughs> yeah okay go on and they can see the axe ravas the axe still you know lords in its uh, talons or something mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then uh, tatanal shows that his sword has like three scales attached to it and then they notice that this is a campsite and you know lasa's signature move is like kicking out coals and they notice that and they you know okay finally we have reached her trail so we are following we are on the right path and then they resume their conversation like you know like there was no interruption like they didn't just chase away a dragon in the middle and say something like lasa can't be accused of charm deadly allure yes and so on and so on Yeah, go on. What what was it? So, yeah, they were um earlier before, like when the eggs line came up, eggs for breaking eggs for are for juggling. Um uh, they were talking about winged creatures, basically dragons, right? Flowing overhead. Yeah. And then Ravas, I think it is, like no, that's bullshit, you know, like it was probably just a condor, a bird that thought like your oh God, your oh head God, that... was a rival's mm. nest. And then, like the dragon shows up and like their first reaction was, "Hello, huh?" You were right. Maybe they weren't shadows after all. Then they just continue like completely <laughs> non-plushed. Like, oh, okay, yeah, we can't, we can't say she has charm. Deadly allure, yes. <laughs> Everything else, yeah, but charm, eh? I, I just want to remind everyone that this is right after the Narad chapter and like all of chapter four and everything that happened. Why do you have to be a killjoy like this? It let us enjoy good, funny I'm chapter not, for what? I'm not being a killjoy. I just want to say that like this. the entire book is yeah it is sad but yeah this is a fun bit let's enjoy let's laugh at this and you know let's be tell like i for a scene okay what is scene 5 called um i don't know hanako the wife okay we just had the husband so now the wife right 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 okay <laughs> lasa sees that her her husbands are not exactly hurrying after her and so <laughs> See what I mean? Then <laughs> I think most of this episode is, you know, we're wasting time by just laughing over it. We're very so sorry. So she asks, she asks Hanako if you know, am I not enticing enough? Am I not desirable and all that? And Hanako says that yeah, you're all that and more, Lasa and all that. And then she thinks that they're probably angry with her. And can I just tell you, like, tell everyone that the audio book is pretty amazing because this is when I actually sat up and took notice because his Lasa is amazing. guy doesn't hold back guy doesn't feel shy talking exactly like how lasa would talk and it just it just adds so much to the audiobook i i just i'm really enjoying it so anyway she thinks that they are all probably angry with her creed says yeah they must be because you didn't even leave them a note and she says no no she's not angry that is not the reason that she is thinking of she says there is a careless imp within her my first thought was she is pregnant but no it's just no <laughs> yeah she's not no. and then uh, she says that the imp gets angry it has a temper and every night she watches them <laughs> eat their wretched dinner that she makes for them and have their no taste right what does creed tell her they must have because after all they married you 
and then she says something like after all these years <laughs> they have they have let themselves descend into <laughs> uh, it wasn't like fapid finality dullardly obtuseness mm. and yeah. she kicks the coals in frustration every night and then hanako asks like what is the cause for your vengeance and she says thus the virgin spoke to marriage we don't really have an interpretation do we what she means by this um not really no i think it's just he's just making a fucking joke on it like rather than it dying into beforehand like oh you know like <laughs> no like um, the, what is the, the cause i could do is of, yeah, he doesn't yeah. understand the dynamics because he's a virgin and you know she has like three husbands so he probably thinks that this is just what yeah, is the yeah. reason for your vengeance and yeah you know, anyway creed laughs at this get married and you'll know then yeah yeah sort of yeah that that's the feeling i got yeah so creed laughs at this and she gives him an earful right yeah she call she asks like <laughs> you warrior who wears everything you conquer have you know where is your wife why don't you you know all that she basically puts him down and then he says that her wit is like a song to his ears and that's why and that's when she tells him you not met my <laughs> wit and then she tells hanako to help her with oils and soaps when they reach the lake what is it thing about the shore if you are sure okay i think yeah. i i think i quoted it yeah, yeah give me give me a minute yeah it's coming yeah it's coming and then she tells her husbands are probably well off the trail she has set them and they're probably picking berries and chatting endlessly and lying in the sun and enjoying hanako agrees and then she teases him some more there's some back and forth and she says that maybe she will pick him for a lover and he says that he forces three deaths waiting him because dying once will not be enough and she knows that these guys her husbands must be jealous because she's traveling with these two guys but creed is probably not a reason for anyone to be jealous about because he's just a warrior whereas hanako is young and handsome and so tall and and Can't even then her. these guys are not hurrying after her so poor lasa nobody is hurrying after her and then she tells hanako smile sweetly and show sure hands in the spreading of soap and oils hanako and i might let you walk upon my shore shall we take a minute to just just be angry at this we just had an entire chapter with shore metaphors we had so much discussion about what the shore means and what the emerland thing is and shadow and so much going on and now lasa just comes and says you know it's just her pickup line i let you walk up on my shore so anyway she stops suddenly and then they see a dragon struggling in the shallows of the lake creed waits for waits for it to turn its blind eye and then he dry, goes to attack sure, lasa recognizes blind to the shore exactly exactly that's what i'm saying it book. is yeah lasa recognizes rava's tracks and thinks that my husbands <laughs> have been devoured and not by me and the way the audio book says this it's like burned <sighs> in my brain now my husbands have been devoured but not by me then <laughs> creed rushes in saying i'm going to avenge you lasa rukat he basically kills it he it takes a few uh, blows he crushes its skull orbital bone cheekbone and i think smashes its neck also and kills it and then you know what it does he takes a knife out and pulls out its heart to drink its blood okay and lasa keeps grieving in her fashion please could you read that out i can't do it with a straight um, face hang on uh, i need to find where it is rava so second. young so fresh yeah, to my bed yeah, yeah. <laughs> um one second hold up sorry i should have let you know told it to be ready Ah uh, yeah yeah so Ravas so young so fresh to my bed i see the fury of your battle the bravery of your stand who was first to dive down the fiend's maw garilco too slow as always too old in all his creaking ways that how <laughs> did the beast toss its head in swallowing you down like a sliver of flesh like a fish down a heron's gullet <laughs> did you complain all the way down <laughs> oh my heart grieves ravas so So this is the dynamic. She loves Ravast. She knows that he's brave enough to, you know, attack first, which is what happened. And Garal go for the Did you complain all the way is like the the most, you know, heartbreaking this I've ever heard. Did you complain all the way when the dragon ate you? <laughs> so Uh, All right. So he uh, Creed Erlan Creed starts drinking the blood, and suddenly he talks to Iskari Mokra. He tells her that Arak Rashanas, his brother, is lusting after her, and he leaves behind crushed eggs near her perch to make her doubt and yearn for his, you know, 
doubt the potency of his seed or something but dark is going to kill him and then he talks to arak prashanas and tells him that he took her again basically he is taken mokra iskari mokra again and his spawn will be born in this new world and they'll be born filled with hatred for him for arakrishnas and then he stumbles and he begs for whole oh, mother o oh, latal please heal me we don't know who this latal is yet and then he faints hanako drags him out and uh, creed opens his eyes and says my love sings my name in the ache within her and all that he calls him uh, creed and he says no no my name is dal and then after a while he sort of like wakes up and tells hanako that he is not alone right so i just want to say that you know we just had this thought that reality is something which exists within one skull limits but now uh, dal tennis and this guy are sharing a skull basically right mm-hmm. now scene 6 back to the husbands the husbands are doing exactly what lasa predicted they have eaten berries and they are dozing in the sun there is a lot of banter but yeah once more let me do justice ravast is relaxing tatnal is exploring some stone menhirs in that area and garalko is napping tatnal calls himself profound because he is old enough though not as old as garalko mind you but he is old enough to appreciate that life is brief and there is you know that point time is pointless and all that and ravast calls him boring then tatnal says you are too dumb and he explains that the azathnai yeah it's basically that trying to talk to you is like finding a bird inside your skull which has no exit or something like that yeah. and he explains that the azathnai are like a mysterious uncle who only offers you a knowing wink and ravast is reminded of some guy called kanintral who has recently wandered off again and without knowing anything else i'll just say that this whole scene is almost like you know they're setting up kanintral to be the telakai azathnai we don't okay. know uh, i'm going to quote Let me. because i don't think so but i'm going to quote yeah within this chapter you're going to quote yeah yeah hmm. um so where is it uh, see if you break the spine oh, you'll I'm find a... your page faster yeah yeah sure well uh so you speak of canon thrall who then wandered off again years now since last we have seen him or known of his whereabouts but now at last i am beyond caring he but served as an irritating example i was speaking of the azathani and their obsession with stone statues monuments ring circles <laughs> chamber tombs always empty go on, go on. and their madness reaches further ravast <laughs> stone swords stone armor stone heads <laughs> with the only which will serve only stone heads i <laughs> god i imagine they should stone too well we have seen a few suspicious pebbles along the way yeah, um yeah So yeah this Enjoy is what I'm saying this is about Kanthral. Yeah. But yeah it's so, it's no, more and then banter. no no there, then also he says something like after this stone bit he says that the jagat when they found the hidden azathnai among them they kicked him out and the telakai cannot be immune because you know they have not just they just not found him yet but there has to be some azathnai hiding and with with them and this is why I thought I mean I still sort of think that Kanthral is an azathnai and Ravas says that you know then it means these azathnai must be gods once again coming back to the same thought and he says that you know we worship the rock, rock gods and he says that no we don't, we don't worship them we, <laughs> we just, just blame, blame them, them when things go wrong. wrong and when things go right we just congratulate ourselves this is ravast and what does this guy say something, something like are you exhausted like old cynicism and shit like that yeah yeah like in your youth you have exhausted all the answers and you know yeah, things yeah. like that yeah it's it's a lot of ages stuff but then it's 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 basically sibling banter right what these three have yeah would you call what do you call them like their husbands in law i don't know how what term comes up what do they call each other brothers i think they specifically say my beleaguered brothers somewhere so anyway I'm they're in some i'm not sure yeah no i don't think they're legally they related brothers but yeah yeah hmm? yeah they do but like legally speaking i don't think they're related how could they not I, be related if they're married to the same person i don't we don't do polygamy here i don't know no one is asking you to do anything we're just thinking what would be the term the technical term that, if... that's what i mean we don't do that here nor you know so i wouldn't know the term that's not a valid excuse okay they're in some ruins and tatana you don't know is a good enough answer yeah and tatana has been trying to say that the azathnai built this and then they probably uprooted this also and he sees echoes of an old rage yeah yeah no? yeah you're not interrupting no? okay No, no, and then no. they talk about matters of faith tatnal thinks that you know 
Lhasa has lost her faith and that's why she is going on this journey. Rava says, no, no, she is... Oh no, Tatanal thinks that she has not lost her faith and Ravas thinks no, she is going because she has lost her faith. And anyway, they expect to see Noah Satanai among this Jagat army. Maybe other Jagat might be there. There might be some dog runners and a few Telakai. And you know, one of them says that we refuse the summons, but you know, we are still on the trail. We are still following her. Ravas says, no, no, we are just going to find her and bring her back with, you know, weapons of reason or something. Tatanal says, no, no, that's not, that's not what is happening here. She has extended her leash and we only have an illusion of freedom. Do you remember where it keeps coming up, right? A leash and an illusion of freedom. I think mm-hmm. we've already had Narad thinking of yeah. uh, stuck in his rut. Then we Mistaken. also thought had yeah, yeah. He... being stuck yeah, with Galar his honor. Who else is there? To Rubble some extent, even Warath. Um, is that a Mander kind of like that? I'm not sure. It hasn't come up yet. But I don't. Yeah. I don't think Rake has this... given into fatalism. I think he does. Like when we see him in the Book of the Fallen, looking back, he does think like, "Oh, yeah. I had only one option." But night, right now, I don't think he has. I think Galan has already told us that he's being pushed in all directions, yeah, and yeah, there's only yeah. one way to go. So, so man basically, pushed that's... by many hands will go in but one way, no matter what he pleases. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, so Garalko then suddenly wakes up and cries that I dreamt of a dragon, and they say that it's not a dream. Yeah, we actually idiot. saw. Him. Yeah. And then Garalko says that, you know, dreams and truth are all fusing and he feels that he's cursed and he and hopes that one day there will be enough the entire, like, thing? Like, <laughs> you idiot? No, it didn't. He didn't dream. We actually fought him. That was a dragon? <laughs> what else could it be? Well, oh, yeah, 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 it's that a was, big lizard that was with a... wings and a tail and scaly. Okay, now that you mentioned <laughs> Yeah, the description is apt, isn't it? I think that's what Ravas says. So anyway, uh, Garalko asks, goes off into a side note of uh, someday I hope we have enough girls in the population that you know the system of polyandry can stop and they can face man and woman you know, like one to one and Tatanal points out that the ties have this type of monogamous marriages and they don't seem particularly happier than us and this is what they keep talking and they continue the trek okay I think this is the last scene scene 7 what's it called yeah the Azathana again the Azathana yeah Krul says he needs more allies and Skillen says it's difficult to find any more. And Krul says that Ardata has gone to the Vitre, a, cha- a caustic sea with the essence of chaos. And she probably wants to explore the depths and she may or may not be alone. I looked up the wiki, so I know what this is, but we're not going to mention that. Skillen will tell her that Krul is foolishly vulnerable. I hope this is a, he's going to tell her, you know, to bring her on their side. Uh, when this is going on, they are walking around the edge of a pit where there is no cytal waste, there is no energy at all. They think that if they descend into this, they will probably die. And Krul calls this a quarry, where the builders have been building houses. And as soon as the house is built, it disappears. Only to, you know, reappear elsewhere as if they were grown from seeds. Krul wonders what drives them to do this. Why are these builders going on building houses? They all mm-hmm. have mysterious origins, just like the Azathanai. And then he wonders why the Azathanai were left on this realm to find flesh and bone. Have we always been... Will we always be? And what is our purpose? Did Triss ask us the same thing? Triss asked Farrerhead, what is your purpose? And then yep. she wonders, what is her purpose? Mm-hmm. It's a lot of lot of questions in the air. And so. it's like, yeah, but if no one shapes me, then I am free to choose. Yeah. And to, I am, yeah. Which is all interesting. Um, Cruel seems to somewhat purport that they have a higher purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone exactly. made them for a purpose. Is that what Cruel thinks? I think that's what he says that we don't have meaning and we try to find meaning. Okay, let me just finish off and then you can explain it to me. Skillen says that no, no, you're hardly ever wrong. Oh, come on. Should I? Okay, Skillen says that it is their lack of purpose that keeps driving them onward and they are going, they're trying to seek meaning and purpose and love. And with even with just with rubble, they can accrete a world. And Krul asks that if beliefs are all they have. And Skillen says that the builders don't build to impose order. What they're trying to do is contain them. So, in effect, the builders are enemies of the Azathanai and they're trying to build prisons to hold the Azathanai. And the builder which dragged Krul tried to imprison him but couldn't do so. And Krul says that there are a few Azathanai who worship these houses. And Skillen says it is because they seek to find meaning. And then he wonders, you know, who is the children of whom? The Azathanai and the elders. Who preceded whom? And which of them have fallen from their purpose? Why do they think all these things? Who cares? Who, you know, they, they can't really find all these answers. I'm not, I was about to say who cares, but you know, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that 
these are just you know existential questions you just ask them and move on and then he thinks the builders are building worlds of denial but what must azat and i do should i just stand aside and let them build them or should they oppose them because you know there could be enemies and the fools who worship it are just that they're fools and they have faith in a god with no face and krul thinks that he has been called a fool skillan asks like why did you make this gift and krul says he wanted to break the rules what rules you may ask that there there are some rules and they seem to exist their needs the the rules are existing to serve their needs and it suits them but the rules probably came into existence before them like cause precedes effect mm-hmm. <clears throat> this is a lot of stuff this is way above my pay grade and then he talks of azatnai possessiveness and he says he was inspired by the suzerain of night who gifted so much of his power that he couldn't take it back skillan is shocked and asks if tell me of draconis's regrets and krul says i don't think there are any regrets he seems to have found something addictive in surrendering power and he he's becoming drunk on helplessness and this is what inspired krul i heeded the suzerain's gift and deemed it in the end too modest that has since changed as draconis has gone yet further what of that i will tell you later so initially draconis gave some part of his power to this diced woman and made her mother dark and now mm-hmm. he's given her the terran die and mm-hmm. so krul wanted to step it up and he wants to do more with his blood this is what i got out of this scene well the sequence is draconis makes the diced woman mother dark krul gives a gift because he thinks just making a woman a goddess is too modest Yeah. Good so one. he gives out And then yeah. like Draconis is like okay but okay fine and then he just gives her the gate of darkness with the terror and die. And then Cruel's like okay yeah maybe you have a point there. So I'm going to one up you again. And they just yeah. one up each other constantly. And you so, know yeah. Skillan thinks that this is a tragic tale and Cruel says Cruel says something like so together now Draconis and Cruel we come to threaten the realm with devastation by our gifts. And then he says that they initially they started just trying to be generous. and so on and skillen points out that their gifts were to mortals but they're being threatened not by mortals but by fellow azathanai and kul says he can't stop erastus so skillen wants to know what does he plan to do kul says he has sought out skillen specifically because of the burden of regrets he carries skillen asks that if he's going to be used like that and kul tells him to consider this also as a gift a gift of giving him purpose and skillen gets angry and asks him what exactly consider is consider your words very carefully because i am considering uh, tearing you limb I'm from limb for your temerity i'm close to tearing you limb from limb yeah and krul answers the word redemption and the whole soul of skillen recoils from that word and then krul explains that erasta seeks to make chance a secret assassin of hope and desire that is a flavor he's trying to impart into this world and now there are gates and these gates need guardians and suzerain mm-hmm. powers the gates need suzerain powers I don't think we can effectively talk about this right now. Should we just have like mm-hmm. a spoilers all episode sometime soon? I think we can talk about this now. Okay. No, the way I understood this is okay. What we know from the book of the fallen, each gate or each warren has a dragon, right? Mhm. In this chapter we are seeing the same name dragons roaming around being just dragons, not being anything extraordinary and somewhere Krulas, you know, makes them guardians of these guard of these gates he aspects each warren to one dragon and for some reason they're calling this as suzerain powers so i thought that draconis is a, is a suzerain of night so what yeah. is happening is i thought he was at the same level as these dragons and that's why he's able to like shape shift but you said it is a bit more than that he like owns the gate so these dragons yeah. which are being aspected to the warrens are they like supreme rulers of that warren No. I don't think so. That's Then the difference between suzerain and guardians. Probably. So, <clears throat> it's a bit confusing because Is it? It's a bit confusing. Shocker. Far, yeah, shocker. Uh from the book of the fallen, it seems like the two parties like cruel and the dragons made a bargain. Yeah. Of which cruel came out on top hmm. because he was sort of sometimes forced into being uh yeah, yeah. guardians or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes he would offer the same warren to two different beings. Oh. So like one warren has two different guardians, like I think Silana and what is Silana? Fuck me. Um the fire warren anyway has two guardians. One okay. is I think Silana, the other is Alarethel. One is True Alint, the other is Soltaken Alint. Mhm. So neither of them would have complete uh suzerainty over that single horse. 
Uh, and then you have, you know, your other dragons like Ambalas and Kalsa and Aleth who have given their um, blood to shape these warrens. Like Ampalas claims he has shaped Emberlon. Uh, Eloth claims she shaped Mokra mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. And Cadillion pretty much calls him out of the bullshit. Like, oh, yeah, okay, good one, buddy. But, okay, I, I don't want your bullshit. I want the truth. Is this, which um, book is this? I think I'll have to go and read this chapter. That's the Bone Hunters, chapter two, which we have okay. an excellent summary of that scene, which we'll link to. But Zilmi basically, right? yeah, yeah. Took this. Uh, in effect, it seems that from the Book of the Fallen, Cruel made the dragons as like Nexus, Nexusy, Nex, Nexi. What's the plural of Nexus? The, Nexus. They just made... Nexuses? Nexus? I don't, I don't think Nexuses is a word. Ne- Nexus. Nexus should be the plural of Nexus. Why not? Okay. Uh, made a lot of Nexus as of yeah. the dragons to Nexuses. anchor his warrants. What nonsense. Okay. Ne- Nexus. I, I don't... Yeah, sorry. I'm not going to look <laughs> up. Please finish. To anchor his warrants. Right? So when he says that like the dragons would be suzerain powers... I don't think he's lying, but I don't think because there are no masters of the warrants, right? Because unlike Erastus, who seeks to impose some form of suzerainty, so like it's his tiles. He is the master of the tiles. There is no master of the warrants until there is, because necessity huh, gives rise to <laughs> the one, like in Gano's Baron. But until then, there is no master of the deck of dragons. Because, as Ganos goes on to say, that's a bit of an oxymoron because, like, dragons are creatures of chaos and a master of chaos is a bit of an oxymoron. So, I think Cruel decentralized the suzerainty that he promised by making everything so widely accessible that no one dragon could claim suzerainty over any one warren, like what Dalk is trying to do here, right? Like, okay, I'm going to go take this uh, magic for my own. Well, no, you can't do that. (laughs) <laughs> because there's too much of it, frankly. Yeah, I think that's what Cruel did, and that's why, why I think he's still bleeding out like three hundred thousand years, one hundred thousand, however long after this is. Okay, <clears throat> right. So then, um, yeah. So basically, he's talking about picking up, picking guardians for the gates, and Draconis probably will pick from Tyst, which Cruel doesn't want. He wants dragons, and the Starwell Gate has opened twice, and the most boldest of them have come inside. And Skillen says that you can't bargain with dragons and they wouldn't want to meet Skillen anyway. Krill reassures him that all dragons but one will fight for what they offer. And he has no intention of letting Tiam manifest here, so they will meet the dragons as they are dispersed. And Skillen is still sour. He says something like, Your gift of redemption to me, and from this my gratitude to you, and from that my power conjoined to yours. He's not happy with the long con game that Krill is playing. Gratitude of chains. Yeah. The gratitude of chains, huh? right? Huh? Yeah. And then he asks why he didn't consider our data. And then he realizes that, you know, she's in the chaos of Vitru, which is too close to dragon blood. So I don't know why that should stop her. Maybe she can't fight chaos if she's already within chaos. I don't think it's supposed to stop her. I think it's like she's not going to fight back against Cruel because she has a similar gift, you know. Oh, no, no. Why wouldn't she be at the guardian for Cruel? Why wouldn't she fight the dragons for the sake of Krul? Because she's too close to chaos herself. That's the way I got that. And then uh, they start listing all the Azathanae we know so far. Kilmandoros, Nightchill, Farander, Tarag, which is a new name for us. Kaladan, Brood, Grisinfarl and Male. And Krul says that Kaladan is lost to them. And mm-hmm. Skillan asks, is he playing High King somewhere? Which is, you know, there is another High King here apparently. And Krul says that, you know, he is not on speaking terms with Male. So Skillen finally gets angry and asks, like, am I the third choice? And then he asks, what scheme does he have to keep the dragons from attacking Skillen on site? Krul admits he doesn't have any plan. There is no scheme. He intends to use Skillen as bait. And Skillen gets angry and grabs him, holds him up. And finally, Krul gets scared. And then he asks, what do you mean the gate of Starwell Demelin opened twice? How many dragons came in? And he says that the first time yielded, Totally 10. Yeah, but the first time yielded only one, which is dead or rather as dead as dragons can get because its carcass is rotting at the shore and nobody knows who killed it. We know it was Triss. And what was the name of that dragon? Korabas Sot, no, whatever. Korabas Oten Tantaral. Yeah. And then he says, don't worry, I'm not yet done with her. And this is where the chapter ends. I I totally enjoyed it. The tone changed and it became just awesome. Yeah. Right? Closing thoughts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Do you have any? So, 
uh, on the matter of the tone change, this is actually not unheard of, obviously. But what I mean is, like, this was quite precedent. President? President? Pres, we have seen know. the precedent for this in which... Um, basically, what I mean is, this would be quite common in tragedies. Especially, like, I'm going to draw from my tradition. Yeah. Shakespeare, uh, whenever a Shakespearean tragedy would end... So, like, the audience would know that it ended. They would just break into a dance. Like, the entire cast, like, all 20 people would just start dancing. Really? And yeah. So, you know, to, offer, to reinforce the notion of catharsis, because, like, think of Hamlet, right? At the end of Hamlet, spoilers, everybody dies. Um, Why is spoiling like, every Hamlet? I've not read it. just stands up, and then they start dancing. So, like, the audience knows that the play is over, and they can have fun again. Um in ancient Greece, because we were more crass at the time, uh, we had a little thing called the satyr drama, right? Which is oddly reminiscent of the husband sections, where it's basically mm-hmm. the satyrs were um, fae what, what is adjacent the word you're using? Satyr. S-A-T-Y-R. Okay, satyr. okay, yeah. yeah. Horned little centaur guy. Yeah. You've probably heard of him. Um, and they were like fae adjacent creatures that were basically mischievous and just extremely horny that was their oh. deal oh yeah uh so there were a lot of sex jokes because you would have three days of plays the first two days would be tragedy and then like the mm-hmm. last day would be a set, well, four days three tragedies and one satyr play per mm-hmm. competition so i was like yearly annually so each playwright would prepare three tragedies and one satyr drama so you would have like three soul crushing days and then just one just to, or, like every dick joke in the ancient greek language would be used um, so it's really reminiscent of that just, here. You know, you're not. Uh, you didn't mean that you were grass back then. <laughs> I did, um, because it was a celebration of like Dionysus, who was like yeah, the yeah, yeah. patron of such uh, celebrations. And yeah. if there's one thing Dionysus is known for, it's not tragedies; it's wine and dick jokes. So yeah, nice. Um, as for the last chapter, beyond what I already mentioned, I want to mention a few things. One. Uh, on our data, Skillen basically thinks of like, you know, oh, you, so you have set up a few things to manipulate me, like you bait me with redemption. What have you set up with our data? I'm like, oh, don't tell me. I know. Like, the Vitter is so very close to Dragon Blood, so you can use her too. And then Krill says, like, uh, chaos is necessary to counteract what Erastus plans. That's another, well, the other thing is that we don't hear of the Sister of Cold Knights, we hear of Night Chill. True, you might think true. that's a very yeah. minute detail, but Night Chill oh. is the name the Azathanite by the name of Sister of Cold Knights assumes whenever she meddles with mortals. So, is she already around somewhere there with the ties? Probably. Like, she appears to Kalor as Sister of Cold Knights, but whenever she's with the Malazans, she's Night Chill. Yeah, right. So, we need to see her and the hiking. So, I'm going to look like an idiot because Steve slipped up or something and, like, he just said, oh, yeah, whatever, no one's going to notice. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, the thing with Malazan is because, you know, we see so much of the author interviews and AMAs and all that. We can't tell when it's a mistake, when it's an honest mistake and when it's a deliberate, intentional thing, like Barrett and Bursa. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, things like that. Like, there are... <clears throat> If mistakes were non-existent, then yeah, we would just say that everything is intentional. But it does happen, so right. So this Other is the than that, fun yeah, I, of, um, yeah. This was you? the fun of Malazan, yeah. Mm. And I'll I'll be taking chapter six, which should be probably like a day or two after this one airs, hopefully. I don't know where our editing is going back because we are reading so much and we're just going on recording. We don't have time to like edit the next episode, so we'll see. We'll figure it out. We'll work on it. So, thanks for watching. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you. So, thank you for watching. <laughs> and uh, good night. Good night. <laughs>